0: Hey guys, welcome to the 15th episode of CareCut, I am your host and storyteller, Kerov Shah. In this episode, I am joined by Peter Leons. Peter is a very good friend, a mentor, one of the few people I reach out to for an advice on Salesforce, problem solving in general, during my initial days in States. Peter is a senior consultant at Euron Consulting Group. He is a Salesforce MVP, meaning he's one of the very few people in the world who are highly skilled, more certified and basically a champion in Salesforce. Before we start this episode, let me just say this, that this episode is not at all technical. We have discussed about problem solving, self-learning, institution-based education, cloud-based technology, Salesforce, and a lot more. So, hope you like it. Start I, I ride think ride. I have to say that was one of the points I've mentioned by Mr. And
1: this is NKCUT. NK My deceptively small tumbler. You'd think this thing is massive, but it really only holds like 14 ounces of liquid.
0: <laughs> yeah, you should keep a bottle. I mean, initially I sort of have some small glass, but yeah, I got dehydrated, just like doing some work. So I usually have like timer set. There is an app, so which reminds me to drink water <laughs> once in a while. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, my my actually skins get teared up, you know, if I don't drink water. Because like back in India, where I was used to live in Mumbai, it was very humid climate. So I needed that amount of water initially, but now I'm used to it. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah, so I... Uh... The meat chores, you know, it's like, um, eating, sleeping, shaving, you know, taking out the trash. Oh, it's all just stuff that distracts me from what I really enjoy, which is solving riddles and buildings. And if it's not particularly challenging, I I usually don't like it. So one thing I'm working on for one of my clients currently, like, obviously I can't say who the client is, but I can talk a little bit about the build. Um, so it's a, uh, uh, Tableau CRM uh, build involving um, uh, and the the vertical is advancement. So this is like um, uh, uh, donations and fundraising in a higher education context. So when you graduate school and mm-hmm. the alumni association calls you up and they you know want your 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 contributions to XYZ campaign, that's what we're working on. So one thing we have to build is just a master data set of constituents and it also needs to be at grain. So Mm -hmm. there's university, then campus, then school, uh, college, department, major content, major uh, program, major concentration, all of these different grains. So at the university wide level, you have one row. At the campus wide level, you have one row for any campus where you've ever received a degree degree or made a contribution. And then this is true all the way down. And so, you know, it's a really complex data model, and I'm mm-hmm. I'm really happy with how the build is turning out. Um, because the idea was like like historically I would have built these all as different data sets, and then it occurred to me that I could have this multi-grain data set. Um, and it's delicious. I would say this data set is probably the single most complex data set I've ever constructed, and I'm thrilled to bits with it. I'm just having an absolute blast.
0: How do you process map it? I mean, for for me, usually it's just like sitting down with a pen and a paper, and just like writing and mapping it down. Because every everyone has a different, you know, way to do that. But when it comes to like such big data sets, how they link with each other? So how do you begin? Start
1: start with basically? oh the wrong way. I do it in my brain. <laughs> 100% in my brain. I I'm, I found that I'm a for one thing I'm a really bad note taker because mm-hmm. in my life I just never really took notes. And then when I got into consulting, yeah. I, I started trying to take a lot of notes and stuff. Um, and I found that I could be either engaged in what my client was telling me, or I could be engaged in transcribing what the client was saying. And then even when I did take really, when I took really detailed notes, I found that I was separated from the solution and I couldn't think about how to solve that problem. I was just you know, cataloging dictation. And then, then I also found, I never went back and read the notes. So, and like nobody was reading my notes if they asked me to send them out afterwards. Mm -hmm. So why bother? And like, now it's like when I take notes, it's like, I've got an extremely busy week. I'll just, you know, I'll have like a bullet list and a notepad of just like these are the things that I need to get done this week so they don't slip through the cracks. But in general, no, I don't really take notes. I just build the whole thing in my head and then, you know, crap it out in the data flow editor and say, oh, well, did that work mm-hmm. um and usually if there's any kind of process mapping involved it's it's for client facing documentation yeah. so you know flow charts and powerpoint they're not really my jam they're just kind of like doing the paperwork it's like more know?
0: clear visualization i mean it's like i don't start with that i, I agree with what you're saying like initially also mine is really like take down the bullet points if you know the complete story revisit the bullet points create the complete story on on a tool basically But yeah, I I get it. I mean, if you're in that particular zone, then I can recreate it. So if you're listening to someone, what the client says, then you are in that zone of listening. You cannot do and write. I don't know how people multitask. You know, they can make clean notes and also listen to what, I mean, not the client or the lecturer says, but I have never been able to do that. I'm like, I'm very shitty note taker also, but I'm like, you're listening to it. You're engrossed in it. So how you can detach yourself and take notes, which are very clean comparatively. Yeah. yeah,
1: and <laughs> I, I find it's just the part of my brain that writes seems to not be able to function at the same time of my brain that, or at the same time as the part of my brain that solves problems. It's
0: like fast thinking. I've, I've also got a commenting, I'm a very fast speaker because when I'm thinking very fast, I speak also very fast said so yeah. yeah. what my colleague yeah what did you just say but initially i thought like it's my accent this is it's not your accent just speaks slow you're saying it correctly but it speaks slow i'm like okay i'm saying it's very very fast because when i heard my own voice on the podcast like few of the episode i'm like i'm speaking very very fast so I just talk myself and
1: speak. I I did some telemarketing in my youth and I had a really good uh, instructor. Um, and so I can talk really fast and get the point across as quickly as I need to, if I'm trying to knowledge transfer and I've got somebody who's really fluid on the topic, Mm -hmm. but a good telemarketer should be speaking in a calm, neutral voice at approximately 120 words per minute. Make sure to clearly enunciate all consonants so that you can be cleanly understood. Uh, so that's more of my telemarketer voice. <laughs> um, the yeah, real I mean, Peter, If you in go
0: into that zone of speaking very slowly and thinking what I'm saying, my actually what I want to convey properly, like the passion of, you know, like if someone comes to you with a problem, if you have very, very excited about, you know, solving that problem or sharing what you think about it, I cannot speak slow because you're so much into that zone of, you know, okay, what is the problem about? You're just speaking. You're not thinking about, how you're speaking.
1: But, yeah, and for uh, me, it's kind of like, imagine that you're going to the fridge to get a sandwich yeah. and you are really, really, really hungry. You haven't eaten in days. And all you can think about is that sandwich,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but you're going to have to count to 10 after each step before you're allowed to take the next step. It's going to be the longest March of your life. Like gouge out my eyes with a melon baller and I'll have those for lunch instead. Mm-hmm. Uh, no. So like a lot of times it's just, I, I know I, I, you know, my, my, my voice can't keep up with my brain, and I'm just. Can we get to
2: exactly. the
0: point?
1: You know, but you know, I digress.
0: Uh, Coming, I will mean, just reframe the question which we spoke about last time in the first question. So, like, you have, I mean, just tell me about your journey so far. Like, right. how has it been? Uh, basically, uh, this this time we'll do a final story as well. <laughs> So, because,
1: so just just for context, we yeah. met last week. There were some yeah. technical difficulties. This was our first question. I spent almost forty five minutes answering it. <laughs> don't feel we like have I that. We have that, but, uh, but yeah, we but have that. But it's, it's
0: fine to do it again. <laughs> instead,
1: we'll do we'll do kind of the quicker synopsis because it's a bit um it's a bit of a diatribe. Uh, so uh, I have learned a ton from failure, uh, and I've also learned a lot about. Uh, vanity and ego um, and and how destructive they can be uh, when you let them get out of hand. And so there's this old hip hop song from the late 90s, early 2000s that uh, uh, the quote that comes to mind is, uh, I used to wear my ego as a sweater, but now it's a cape that follows me throughout the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. So when I was young, I was very ego driven because I didn't, you know, I was, I was clever, but I didn't really have anything to, to stand on. To take pride in i didn't have any accomplishments
2: yeah.
1: um i just had a whole lot of potential and and it's like people would say to me oh you have so much potential and it was like it was embittering because it was always in the context of and you're squandering it so uh which is true i totally wasted my youth um when i was uh so um you know for family reasons uh i took a month off uh in freshman year of high school there was an address mix up they sent me they were supposed to send me my school work it ended up uh, a couple of blocks down the road at the wrong address uh and by the time that mix-up got cleared up i was back in buffalo my family was under the impression that i was doing homework i read half of to kill a mockingbird um you know but that that's that's you know all that got done um and i was a slacker because i was you know 16 and um I, I didn't, uh, you know, ever bother to make up the work, I ended up failing math class, not because I wasn't good at math, but because I didn't know, you know, oh, hey, hey, this logical proof that you just solved, tell us how you did it. Oh, okay, well, I did this and this and this. No, we need you to write the words De Morgan's Law, or you fail. Standard. And I'm like, well, <laughs> okay, but
0: yeah, You need to follow a structure to do that.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it was really, it came down to vocabulary a lot of a lot of times like like the logical proofs and everything it was like oh just can me get to the point so i ended up taking taking summer school because that would have been a real embarrassment for me to be to be held back in math um because it was something that just came so naturally to me um and so i took it in summer school and six week pro, six week program you know a couple hours a day boom get it done and I ended up getting a perfect score on the Math 2 exam. Uh, the odds at the time were about 1 out of 8,000. So I was like, this is awesome. And I was always frustrated with how slow the educational process was in public schools. And they make all sorts of accommodations if you're at one end of the curve. Mm-hmm. If you're at the other end of the curve, they're just kind of like, get wrecked, deal with it. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't working for me. And I went to my math teacher in the beginning of my junior year of high school, I'm 16 at this point. Um, and i I said to the teacher um i'll make you a deal i'll take the book home you tell me what the test is going to be on when the test is going to be and i will come to class i'll take the test i'll ace your test every time and if my scores ever drop below 95 i will be the best student you've ever seen in here diligent front row every day and i'm not just gonna go play hooky i will go down to the library." or, uh, you know, a study hall or wherever, I'm not off the radar. You can even assign projects to me with what I should be doing with this time. But I swear, if I have to sit through two plus two every day for the for a month before you're ready to test me on two plus two, this ain't going to work. Yeah. She said, Well, that sounds like a great idea. But if I did that, I'd lose my job. So no. Um And I got similar responses from my other teachers. I tried to argue with my uh, US history teacher that uh, because I did not have the right to vote, I therefore had not engaged in John Locke's social contract. Therefore, by uh, forcing me to do homework that was comparable to taxing people who don't have a vote, which is by definition tyrannical, and therefore not in line with democracy, and so I wasn't going to do his homework. And he said, that's an excellent argument. Thank you for doing the reading. But uh, you know, if that's really what he's like, there's one subtle piece that you missed. My classroom is not a democracy, it's a dictatorship. You are here because you are compelled by law to be here. Therefore, I am uh, within my rights to require you to do homework. So, and I met with similar resistance from other teachers and I was just like, ah, screw it, I'm out of here. And all you bullies that have been picking on me in 10 years, you're gonna be scrubbing my toilets. Well, where was I 10 years?
0: When you think back at all this, like of this experiences, do you think that you were, uh, I mean, you are very young. So that's the reason it's like usual tendency of a teenager to say that back. And you made sense to some extent. So how do you see that in all those experiences during your school? Were you too much of, you know, want to get out of the schooling system or are you really, really bothered by, you know?
1: Yeah, it. I mean, in hindsight, um, I was on the right track. But what I needed was, uh, I needed discipline, I needed focus, and I need to, needed someone to knock my ego down a few pegs. Um, I did it to myself, but it took a decade of wasting my life. Um, Cause you know, the world is yours to have, but no one's gonna give it to you. You know, you're only going to get, you're only gonna get ahead in life through hard work or dumb luck or a combination of both. And like, I'm very anti-nepotism. Um, you know, the idea that you know having your name on the sign is not uh, is not a job skill. So you shouldn't just, you know, like like go through life with a sense of entitlement. I mean, if you're born rich, hey, good for you. Use the assets you're you have. And i I'll definitely say, as someone who's traveled abroad a lot, a US passport is a very powerful asset and opens a whole lot of doors for you. So definitely, you know, take advantage of the assets that you you have. But at the same time, if you want to get somewhere new in life. You're gonna to have to accept ownership of those challenges. And then when you do, and you take that burden on and you get through those challenges, you also get to own the solution and it's extremely rewarding. Yeah. Um, But it just took life to teach me those lessons. So dropped out and said, you know, to, because I, you know, I got bullied a lot. Oh, he said a word we don't understand. Let's kick his ass, Uh you know, so. Uh, I had a lot of trouble bullying in my youth. I was pretty scrawny kid. Uh, didn't go so well, but um, successfully to this day, I'm I'm 37 and I've never hit anyone in the face in my life. But I've also been in a ton of fights, and I've also won a couple of them. So
0: <laughs> um, without without fighting, I mean that's well, me. Actually. I've never if if I go back and if I remember, I've never actually got into fight. I don't know how, but I just like make up by talking. I'm like. And that's that, that's also fear of me that if I get into the fight I will get hit. I mean, as a young teenager, but I always used to find a way to talk out of it. So I'm like, okay, so uh, why that, do? That, yeah.
1: I was like, well, it's gonna happen regardless. So you know, I, might as well don't don't be afraid of it. But uh, I, it's just I'm not an aggressive person. Yeah. It, it's just not in my nature. But fun little side anecdote from, and this is this is just kind of cheesy. But when I was a cook, um, I'm working in this Chinese restaurant that also yeah. has a bar. And, um, you know, it's a late snowy Tuesday night at around two Mm -hmm. o'clock in the morning. I'm in my early twenties. And at the time I was real in a punk rock gear. So I had this like Mm -hmm. Dutch military field jacket and like I had the medley strappy buckly bracelets all the way up to my elbows, Mm -hmm. largely to protect me from the grease walk, which would burn the crap out of you when you're making like sweet and sour chicken in like 200 pound batches. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so really it was armor, but um, the only people on staff, we got, Grandpa's working the fryer. He's a 77-year-old retired Chinese military general. Um, mama, his wife, is making the egg rolls, um, and then I've got a, uh, a girl working the bar, um, an American girl's working the bar, and she's maybe five foot two. Uh, and then I got to drive her out on delivery. Other than that, it's me. So I'm literally the only English-speaking male in yeah. the building at all. And I'm only, and I'm one of only two English speakers in the building at all. The other one who is, you know, maybe five foot three. And she's got two customers at the bar. And other than that place is empty. She comes back and she's like, Pete, I need you to throw somebody out. Uh, He lit, he's too drunk. He lit up a cigarette at the bar. I told him to put it out. He called me the C word and laughed, Mm -hmm. go take care of it. And I go out there and this guy's like five times my size. And I don't really foresee talking being a solution. I'm probably going to end up in the hospital so but you know it's my job i've got to protect my team i'm going to go try to get this guy to leave so what i what i did was we had uh we had these this this uh freezer that we would we would uh we we throttled it down a little bit so that we could like keep super icy crispy beers in it but not quite frozen so i grabbed a bottle of bat blue and at this point my my iron paw my 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 uh, kitchen calluses were as strong as they ever were because I was actively working the line and working fryers and stuff and just constantly burning the crap out of my hands. So um, I grabbed I grabbed a ice cold bottle of Labatt Blue and I chugged it on down because I was pretty sure that I was going to be going to the hospital or at least that I was going to get the crap kicked out of me. I was seriously expecting that this guy was going to jaw me and you know cuz sure enough he's smoking a cigarette right yeah, at the maybe, bar he's got the drunk muscle shirt yeah exactly yeah, yeah. He, he's got a muscle shirt on he clearly looks like he's scrappy and so i chugged the bottle of that blue and i set it down on the counter and i wiped my hands down the side of it i walk over he doesn't even notice me i re- I, I i i i stand right in front of him he's laughing with his buddy he looks over at me and i go and i put his cigarette out with my fingers okay. and and i just go get out and he's like, yeah. I'm leaving. I'm leaving. I'm like, you're right. You're leaving. Pay your tab. There's the door. And he looks at it, and, and his buddy goes, I'm not with him. I'm like, I don't care. You're done too. Bar's closed. Bye, guys. And there's like, like little chunks of ash stuck to my finger. And it, it was between like just having decent calluses and the frosty glass gave me just enough of an edge that I was able to do that and keep a straight face, but I totally had a horrible blister the next day. And as they're walking away, I'm like shaking and ready to crap myself. So sometimes a good bluff works too. I got my GED like within a couple of weeks of leaving high school and having your GED at 16 is pretty cool. It means you can go to college, but um, it stops being cool when you're 18 and your class graduates with regular diplomas and then they go off to college and you're still just farting around um so moved out at 17 uh moved back at like 21 for a year um tried going to college for a minute screwed that up too. Turned the turn the school paper into a tabloid uh that was fun but uh then i got to be 26 now we're we're at that 10 year point later and uh the guy i worked for the the chef was like a complete bully and you know had a drug problem and i i it was basically he would have been a bully to me if I was in high school and I remember it was like around Valentine's Day that year that he he just came in extremely hungover and he, he threw up all over the bathroom and I had to go clean it up.
3: Yeah.
1: And I'm like, "Wait a minute. It's been 10 years and I'm scrubbing his toilet. Where did where did I go wrong? This is not this is exactly the opposite of what I was expecting, but it was abundantly clear that it was me and it was my fault and that it was my failure and I had to own it. You know, you crap the bed, now deal with it." So Around that same time, uh, I was living in, in, in this house with like eight other guys. Uh, we called it megahertz because the uh, the house number was 286. Wow. Um, but it was like an upper lower unit that we shared as, as just one big place. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of my roommates, uh, he was really good with Linux. He had a ton of computer hardware. Um, and you know he got sick of me constantly wanting to borrow his laptop to like go on Facebook and YouTube and stuff. Uh, I am I'm a recovered Facebook user. I, I don't, I, I only use social media to promote my, my Salesforce content. Um, you know, and occasionally yell at Delta airlines. Um, but other than that, I keep it clean, but yeah. So, um, uh, so he built me a computer, um, that had half a gig of DDR one back when they just called it DDR, like, you know, PC one thirty three Ram, uh, and you know it had a 20 gig hard drive uh he put uh ubuntu 10.4 on it so the april 2010 release of ubuntu uh it was slow it was garbage it didn't have a front panel so when you wanted to turn it on you had to like jump the pins with a screwdriver (laughs) to start it (laughs) like legit three screws holding the whole thing together i swear um and when you get a free computer like this it does not include a tech support plan or a training manual you're going to have to learn. Now, if you want to just, you know, YouTube's and Facebook and surf the web, you can do that just fine with, with Ubuntu. It's it's a really great entry-level, you know, user-friendly, yeah. non-technical Linux system. And it's free and it's open source. And I love that. But you want to do even slightly more than that. You're going to have to do some learning. Like, let's say, for example, you want to play, play StarCraft or Minecraft.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You're going to have to figure it out. Minecraft, so you, I
0: think were you were you fond of computers before that? I mean, because this is no, internet time, right? So this is my, the first time you see uh something and you just like jump into my it. my
1: Gmail status was hates computers. <laughs> 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 it just never occurred to me. Um yeah. you know, because uh that that but then I, I started tinkering with it and I found very quickly like not only did I I was I good at it, but I really, really, really liked doing it. And I love that like rush of accomplishment instead of like, you know, oh, I am the spirit of failure. Watch me yawn. Yeah. Uh, it was like everything I touch turns to fix. I can fix anything. Um, you know, and at the time, I actually have this great picture because I had a blue Mohawk at the time. So I got this picture where I'm like, mm, you know, yeah. uh, and I, st- I still use it for the occasional, uh, for the occasional thing. But I, um, so um, I started fishing computers out of the trash about six months later, I did my first custom build uh, that was cobalt, it was all slick, it had like, analog gauges for like temp and fan speeds and such. Yeah. Um, I love that rig. Um, and then, you know, I started building custom rigs for other people. I, I started like I I one time, you know, I've, I've got a couple of successes with literally baking video cards in my oven to reflow solder damage, I did data recovery, I did, nice. you name it, uh, I, I donated so many machines. And then, you know, but eventually, like, you know, after a couple of years of doing this, like, I'm like, all right, well, I seem to have hit something right about here. I can't see it. Oh, what's it called? Oh, glass ceiling. Yeah, that's what it is. And I couldn't really break through it. Um, and my best year, I did four grand on the side, you know, just charging 10 bucks for laptop. Well, nice. Yeah. But I mean, I, I charged the minimum necessary to maintain professional distance because if it's free, people walk all over you. Gotcha. Um, and free is a hard sale too.
0: 2009-10, This
1: was. Uh, well, well. By now, so it started in two thousand ten, but by now, mm. fast forward, we're looking at closer to twenty fourteen, you know, ish, early twenty fourteen. But as soon as I kind of realized that that glass ceiling was there,
2: yeah,
1: everything went dry, and I, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't find anybody who needed work to save my life, and. The bills are piling up and I I really relied on that like supplemental income to uh, uh, I really relied on that supplemental income to to kind of like bolster things up Um, and if you hear a a bell in the back that's my cats. Um, But I I really, you know, I, I was like getting extremely frustrated and extremely uh, bitter about it and. Um, normally I, I, I tend to kind of yada yada over this part because I don't like to force feed other people, my faith or, uh, but there's definitely kind of a faith component to this. So, um, I, I, I like to tell people I'm spiritual, not religious, but my dad, by contrast, Mm -hmm. he's a real Bible thumper, like deacon at his church kind of religious, um, and, and has been my whole life. So like you can read three words from the new Testament and he will be able to tell you the chapter and the verse, and then finish the entire chapter. Um, like he literally has memorized the entire new Testament. Um, so, you know, I'm over at at his house having dinner and, you know, he always likes to say a little prayer before we go. And I'm just like, okay, I'll humor you. But he asks me, you know, does anybody have anything they want to offer up? And, uh, you know, it's the first time he's asked me that in years. And I'm just like, yeah, I do. I want a computer job. And like, I almost got a little choked up saying it and it wasn't until, I said it out loud like that, that I realized just how badly it was hurting me to know that like, oh, you have so much potential, but if I had applied myself back then, maybe I could have done something with it. And instead now it's like, I'm going, imagine like you go to the arcade and the video game is flashing game over, but you can walk around, you can go to all the different rooms. There's no bad guys. The puzzles have all been solved and there's not even music playing. And like, that's that's your life, game over. So but you're still here. Hang out. It's groovy. Enjoy. Enjoy that. Those decades and decades of mediocrity. Um, and and it, it was really just bothering the crap out of me. And then I went home and uh, it was almost like like a prayer had been answered because my roommate says to me, oh, hey, guess what? I got a computer job. And I'm like, I meant I meant me not him. I mean, good for him, but I meant me. But sure enough, the next day, like floodgates open. So my kid sister calls me. uh, She's at the local library and she's like, Pete, there's monitors here. And I'm like, oh, please elaborate because that means nothing to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Turns out that uh, HSBC tower, uh, HSBC had moved out of their Buffalo headquarters and had donated uh, an entire pallet of uh, monitors to this library. So it was like 40 something monitors. They're 17 inch flat panels. They're worth about 40 bucks. you know, she's, I, I call the library and the lady's like, yeah, if you take a couple, I'll cut you a deal. And if you take them all, you can name your price. And I'm like, $10 a unit. And she's like, done. I probably should have named a lower price. Mind you, In this three time, days. Time
0: you have already quit your working job as a cook, right? Has no, you... at this at it's this point, I,
1: I am still a cook and I've transitioned to the, uh, I had I become the baker because... Uh, I was sick of working with, you know, I was sick of working the line. I mean, the chef at that time, uh, he's still there. He's been there about 10 years, uh, Ristorante Lombardo, brilliant Mm -hmm. chef, excellent mentor, great friend, uh, hilarious sense of humor. um, And, you know, uh, really, really did his best to try and mentor me, but I I was on a completely different path. Um, And, and so I'm coming home and I'm doing my, my hobby business, but, you know, again, it had dried up a little bit. And so... Uh I didn't know how I was gonna pay for these monitors. Um, my rent was due in three days. Um, so I uh I called up this guy on Craigslist who kind of did the same thing as me. And I'm like, Well, what do you think I should do? Because we had we had never talked, but I saw his ads. Yeah. Um, and he's like, Well, what I he's like, what I would do is I would buy them all and I'd flip them one by one because you've seen my site or you've seen my my posts. You know, I charge 40 bucks for those. So if you're picking them up for 10, that's a really good deal. Uh and I said, Well. You know, I don't have the storage. I don't have the upfront investment. I had called some friends and said, you know, hey, anybody want to like throw down and and you and we'll split the profits if you invest and it's my source and I'll do the work. Yeah. And they're like, well, you know, no, I'm not giving you 400 bucks. Yeah. But whatevs. Um. So uh, I said to them, well, you know, I don't have the the space. I finally just cleared out the the last hundred towers that got donated to me that I just finished. Like, I I got as many of them as uh, good homes as I could. And the rest got uh, uh, properly recycled, um, so nothing, nothing ended up in landfills. You know, made a couple hundred bucks off of the off of the the scrap value of it. But my roommate has told me if he steps on one more screw, if I fill up the living room, like we we didn't even have furniture. There, there's just computers everywhere. It's like, you know, I, like there's there's RAM in the sock pile. There's socks in the RAM pile. This is just not best practice. So yeah. I'm like, no, I, I think my roommate's at a breaking point. I I can't house them and I can't I can't finance them. And he's like, well, how about this? You buy them for 10, sell them to me for 20. We both double up like, okay Hmm. so I gamble my rent, go down to the library. Uh, I've actually got a picture of of the monitor sitting outside the library, too. Uh, They had to open it up after hours for me because, you know, my work schedule. And it's just like one of the board of trustee members who uh, comes and he lets me in. I sign a piece of paper, I hand him my rent. Uh, I go out, the, you know, we wheel the pallet outside and he's like, bye. And we cut them open. <clears throat> they are scratched to heck. Whoever packed them had no idea what they were doing. And they had not been properly, uh, you know, packed for storage.
2: Yeah.
1: And I'm like, this is my nightmare. This is why you don't gamble your rent. Yeah. But Proceed. Keep staying the course until you are actually dead in the water because right now I don't know what's going to happen. So me and my kid's sister, we load them up into my mom's uh camry, mm-hmm. we drive them out to the falls, uh, or most of the way to Niagara Falls, it's along the Niagara River. Yeah. And uh we get there and he's like, Well, you know, and I, I told him right up front. I'm like, Look, I this is outside of my control. And if the deal is off, I completely understand. And he's like, Well, I flip these to telemarketing call centers, they they spin up. i I sell them the units then they close down i buy them back at half price restore them and do the same thing for the next shop that moves in uh they're they're getting a a real steal on the rigs that i build for them so it's function not aesthetics as long as there is no interference to performance i don't Mm -hmm. care he tosses me a dirty rag and a bottle of windex he says clean them up as best as you can yeah bring them in five at a time I, I test them, I power them on. I leave them on for about 30 seconds. I, I, I Google the word sandwich. And if I get a sandwich, we move on to the next unit. Um, Wait, was and, the
0: external broken? I mean, what, what was- No,
1: the no, but this, the screens had visible scratches on them.
0: I see. Mm-hmm. But
1: when you, but what I didn't realize was that when you power them up, you can't see that. So as long as they didn't, as long as they weren't damaged in a way that affected their mm-hmm. usability yeah. you know like broken pixels or a gouge that you know is, is mm-hmm. obstructing the view
3: yeah.
1: he's like that's fine so uh he only actually failed one it was the one that my kid sister decided was a good idea the very first one she grabbed she, she grabbed it by the corner and like jammed her thumb like right here mm-hmm. you know and so there was a visible spider crack on it and I'm like Ugh. other than that they all passed so I flipped the monitors gambled my rent doubled my money went home and like nearly threw up. I was so stressed out. Like so all via
0: uh, telemarketing. Like so you got them for ten bucks. You fix them. No, up. I,
1: yeah, yeah. And and then he's selling them to telemarketers. Um, and so, uh, but the floodgates opened. Uh, yes. you know, I, I I started booking three weeks in advance when somebody wanted a laptop tune-up because I just had too many um and like i gotta how, gotta, how did they
0: reach you out then i mean you you have like separate business going going on at this point how did someone reach you out like okay you know what 100 percent like, word of mouth word of mouth.
1: 100 word of mouth tell your friends send them my way yeah. and if you do good quality work at an affordable price with like honest mm-hmm. reliable advice yeah that, that, that word will spread. Now, do I think that's going to get very far in consulting? Not so much. Okay, it's a big world. You got to get some advertising out there. But yeah. for what I was doing, it was definitely enough. Um, and then I, uh, I I became the the IT admin at the Grand Street Neighborhood Center. So there's an organization called PUSH, uh, People United for Sustainable Housing here in Buffalo. I see. And at the time they had an arrangement with Erie County um, basically, what they do is they buy abandoned lots, they build uh, low cost, energy efficient homes and uh, help give them to families in need. Uh, so really great mission. Um, and they they had a, uh, they had an arrangement with the city of Buffalo that uh, they were able to rent an abandoned library for $1 a month, including gas and electric and everything. In exchange, they had to do community outreach. So this was the Grant Street Neighborhood Center. And one of its features was a computer lab. Um, they told me they had seven units, they actually had 16. They just didn't know that the other nine could be restored. Uh, the total cost to them in materials was, uh, you know, they, I, I did make them buy a 32 gig thumb drive because I put a copy of Clonezilla on there. This is how you refresh these computers back to their perfect state. Uh, Dell computing, uh, they were generous enough to give us the, 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 the boot media to get everything restored and wiped. Like everything was a nuts, nuts. And like. The stuff these kids were doing, very not appropriate. So we definitely put some uh, parental controls on those machines to keep kids away from websites that kids shouldn't even know exist. Um, I assume that you know where I'm going. Uh, So uh, eventually, I I, and quite deliberately, uh, I trained them. uh, I trained myself into obsolescence. I found uh, someone among their their team who. Had an aptitude and uh, an intellectual curiosity, and I basically trained him to replace me, so that they could not be dependent on me, and instead could rely on their own skill sets. Nice. Um, and that actually finished up uh, right as I entered the Salesforce ecosystem. And so, to to bring everything back full circle, like I mentioned, my roommate he got that computer job. Well, about six months later, you know. Um, and I, I never know what he's doing in there on on these calls, and they're talking about this code stuff that I don't understand, and I don't think I could learn. But uh, you know, I've got I I, I had somebody come on, come over who who wanted a custom computer, and they were just obsessed that it it needs to have X Y Z feature, and I'm like, no, you're just, you're going about it wrong. The way that you do it is, we start by understanding what is your budget and what are your needs. And can your budget meet your needs? Okay, well it looks like you have a misalignment because you have a budget like this and you want to do all of this. Well, maybe you need to scale it down a bit and realign your focus. Okay, so now that we okay we've expanded the budget a little bit, we've we've pulled the scope in a little bit. Now it seems to be more aligned. Now it's just percentages. We we figure out okay based on your needs, we're going to throw this percent of the budget at the graphics card, this percent at, the, at that, and then it's just a matter of of knowing the actual specs on the parts. And we went through and. In about an hour and a half, we had his build all ready to go. Then he put in his credit card number, had all the stuff shipped to me. I built the build. Um, and then basically I charged uh whatever the total cost for new materials is, 10% of that was my fee. And anywhere that I can save you, like, oh, here, I'll give you a uh this used uh uh DVD drive for five bucks so that you don't have to buy one for 25. Yeah. Um, and then you know, I, I sent him out the door, and and my roommate's like you're you're a consultant and I'm like what what's a consultant and he's like that guy that you were just building that thing for you were consulting him I'm like well I called the session a consultation he's like and you called him your client he's like you provide advisory services around best practices I'm like what are these buzzwords no I build computers what are you talking about he's like he's like well I write code but I'm a consultant first I think you need to meet my boss. Do you do by the way? Do you know what I do for a living? And 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 I'm like, you talk on the phone about things I don't understand. And sometimes when you're not feeling lazy, you go to the office and do it there. And he's like, uh, no. So it's called Salesforce. And I'm like, dude, we've been through this. I don't want to sell anything. He's like, no, no, that's what everybody thinks. So I spun up a LinkedIn profile, uh, and I got connected to Raj Suchek. Um, who was the founder of Cloud62, a small Buffalo-based startup that was eventually in October of 2015, acquired by Huron Consulting Group, uh, who I currently still work for. Um, So in other words, I think we know how the story ends. Um, But he gave me this like three-page BRD deliberately designed to trip you up. And at that point in time, Trailhead was relatively new. You could do every single trail in about 40 hours. um, And he didn't even tell me it existed he just gave me this thing called the force.com workbook It's eight pages Mm -hmm. of universal containers and workflow rules and not only was i it it took me two weeks to do it and about 80 hours on the build but um there were specifically requirements in there that were designed to force you to have to write code um i did it all without code uh and he was (laughs) like well then how could if you didn't write any code how could you have possibly achieved all the requirements and i'm like you see me click the buttons. You see it works, right? But like he also like the the first time he brought me in was after a week, and he just did riddles with me because the build wasn't complete, and so he was completely disinterested in that. And so he's like, "Oh yeah, 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 yeah it looks nice." And then he shuts my laptop, yeah. and he's like, um, "So let me ask you: You're holding nine marbles. Your human senses tell you they all weigh exactly the same thing, but you know one of them weighs ever so slightly more, just not enough that you can tell with your hands. You have a counterbalance scale that you can use twice." Find the wrong marble. And I'm like, I already know how to do this one. And he's like, ow. I'm like, my roommate works for you. And he told me that riddle. Okay, okay, fine. Well, I appreciate your candor. How he's like, Did you solve it on your own? or did he tell you? And I'm like, I did solve it on my own. It took me about 12 minutes and it was a little, it was, it was pretty challenging, and I really enjoyed it. And we talked, we talked through the iterations. Um, and then we we did like a, a half a dozen more riddles.
0: Is he is he is Rod it. still working with I mean uh Raj left
1: here on about 2 years ago to start a company called Gritseed which is literally his nose for talent weaponized in the form of a mobile app built on AWS. And hmm. like the completeness of vision when he demoed this for me about 6 months after it started I was like yeah. you mad genius you actually did it. <laughs> um but yeah, it's called so again, gritseed.com. Check it out. Real cool stuff. Um, Raj is a huge supporter of the Buffalo community, the startup, and, uh, startup community, and everything. Yeah. Great guy. We wouldn't be having this conversation if it wasn't for Raj. So, um, and the other thing I didn't realize was this man was in the middle of, of like, you know, like he had just built his own company. It's only a few years old at this point. CEOs of small businesses, especially consulting shops, they don't have time to sleep or eat, or see their families. Yeah. He spent 90 minutes doing riddles with a stranger that had no degree. So that says a lot for um, for his character and for, you know, what how he values uh, investing in his people and finding the right ones. Um, but needless to say, I got the job. <laughs> so...
0: That's... A, I mean, you know, you you actually mentioned, I mean, I can say that you are a product of kind of a self-learning, like you completely self-learned everything right from the beginning what are your views on institution-based education system? Like if you say like, you know, schooling, or if you say like there is, uh, I was just reading a report, like more number of parents are now moving towards homeschooling and now we are in pandemic, right? So it's kind of like, you can say it's a homeschooling kind of a thing, but what are your views? Like, Do you think that university or ed- institution-based I, education obstruct kind of a learning?
1: I have a really good analogy for that. <laughs> so let's say that, uh, you know, I'm the waiter at a restaurant and you're my customer and you ask me what do you think is better the new york strip steak or the uh cedar plank grilled uh salmon well i don't eat fish Mm -hmm. at all like i mean i like i like uh tuna and sushi and i like clam chowder and uh that's that's pretty much the extent of my, my fondness for seafood how am i to answer that question because I'm just going to tell you, get the steak every day. So for me, mm-hmm. in hindsight, I don't think that things would have turned out entirely differently if I had applied myself in, uh, more diligently in college. I think the big difference is I wouldn't be laughing all the way to the bank when I don't have to pay student loans. Um, so by, my student loan debt in my entire life was $700. I took out a $700 loan. Um, I got I got full Pell. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had enough money left over from it to buy my books and get a a minute phone. So I didn't even bother applying for tap because I said, well, I don't need it. Save it for someone who does. Um, And everybody's like, you're an idiot. It's free money. And I'm like, no, it's free money. That's for everybody. Take what you need, not what you want. Uh, $700 student loan, bought myself a a, a clunker of a car and kept it on the road for a few months with that. Um, But like, no, you know, laughing all the way to the bank. I don't learn well in that kind of environment, as we've already found with my experience in high school. So if if you if you if you did good in high school, then maybe you're gonna do good in college. But if you butt heads with the teachers and you're just like, you know, maybe it's not right for you, but I can't say enough that education in whatever form it takes is critical. You can't just walk in and know nothing and expect the job to get done.
2: Yeah.
1: I will say that there is a benefit in the structure and learning reasonable like to 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 subject yourself to righteous authorities. Um, I for a long time, pushed back at any authority um, on the grounds that it was an authority. But what I realized was through subjugation to a righteous authority, like we can build systems of structure and order. Mm -hmm. So for example, I subordinate myself to my clients so that I can deliver on their needs and improve their business. Yeah. and ultimately we do a lot of work in higher ed and healthcare so the way I look at it it's not even just my customer who pays my rent it's their customers yeah the young the sick the old those in need so it's kind of a it's kind of a moral imperative for me to deliver mm-hmm. the best value to my clients that I can so that they, they they can help to keep their costs manageable and they don't have some consultant just patting the hours and laughing laughing about it you know <laughs> oh yeah yeah you should have, you know. So I try to be very surgical in my builds, and I try to be efficient, you know. And again, this comes through a, a, an understanding of the importance of authority. Like I also have this this mm-hmm. kind of philosophy of of just anti uh, anti uh, legislative bloat. Like law, um, there's a, there's a, a, a Bible quote: "Laws for the lawless," and this is by somebody who pr- professed more laws into the Bible than anybody else combined. A little bit hypocritical there, just. Mm-hmm. Not not saying Paul, uh, you know, isn't my favorite uh, among yeah. them. But, you know, the idea is that that laws for uh, laws are for the lawless. Um, and for a long time, I was trying to come up with a philosophical theory to support that we did not, in fact, have need for law. But then uh, I realized that that law creates structures uh, and it create, it it creates more possibilities than it restricts, because you may think when I tell you there is a law that I have reduced the number of choices that you have in the universe. And while that's technically true, I have also opened new avenues for you and new possibilities that previously did not exist. How? Example.
2: Yeah.
1: I've got my buddy, the caveman, and we would like to play some chess. And I tell him the objective is to take my king. And mm-hmm. so he comes over and he thumps me on the head and takes the king. I win. Gotcha. So kind oh, of the no.
0: enabling more creative solutions If you restrict, like limiting the yeah. options so find a way around think outside the box those exactly
1: so by creating the rules mm-hmm. of chess where yeah. each piece has a different set of rules by that governance movement players must take turns pieces have uh you know they have they have this conceptual value where you know there have been so many permutations and so much study on the game of chess that we can assign point values yeah. to the pieces that are relatively equivalent i would venture to say that bishops are worth less in early game and worth more in end game but that's kind of convolutes things a little and that's my amateur opinion i'm not that good at chess if, if,
0: if we if we select a particular i mean it's it's a game we are talking about chess right i mean it's a game your your final thing is to win the game of chess that's that's your final thing you want to reach this so you'll find a way around when it comes to education i mean i've always thought about this like there is a difference between education and learning Right? Oh, both, absolutely. Both are actually reaching the same destination, but a completely different way of reaching the destination. So yeah, in, in terms of that, uh, if I ask you, like, you know, at the end, what you're doing, you have your problem solving. You are when you go out in the business, in the real world or corporate life, you're actually solving real world problems. So taking a route of experiential based learning versus taking a route of institution based learning it doesn't make any sense because you have actually, you know, I guess followed that experiential based journey and it was well, much more-
1: you, know. you get something different out of them. And again, this is speaking from the perspective of somebody who has very little experience in mm-hmm. the, the, the proper educational world. You know, I got 23 credits from a community college And it took me three semesters to do that. It was not
0: your inability of learning, right? It was your inability of sticking to the system or the process.
1: Well, I mean, it wasn't that. It was also things like, you know, hey, I'm a bio major, but what am I doing? I'm taking philosophy, and I took a course on like how to design blueprints for injection plastic molding uh, dyes. And the reason why I took that course is because one, it sounded really interesting. And two, it was a 300 level course that nobody bothered to put any prereqs on. So uh, I was just kind of being cheeky. Um, That and it was at uh, ECC North Campus and Mm -hmm. there was an apple tree that uh, in previous semesters I had learned was like, no, nobody wants to eat apples from a tree like ew, ew, you're taking food from nature. There's no plastic, you know, so like it was just me and this old janitor would like just pick that tree clean so I deliberately wanted to have it even though I was going to city campus mostly I wanted to have at least one class at North Campus so that I could eat the apples um the things that motivate me you know yeah. but um to to bring it to i i do love my analogies and to to have an analogy that that's that's actually from my real life experiences that that kind of contrasts that uh on the job learning versus you know uh institutional learning mm-hmm. if you had two candidates hired in in the restaurant one of them had uh 2 years of, of culinary experience and one of the, of culinary school and one of them had 2 years on the line. I'll tell you how they're going to size up. First, I would take I'll take 2 years of culinary or 2 years of line over 2 years of culinary any day. I'll put 1 year of line against 2 years of culinary, but the culinary He's going to know every recipe under the book. He's going to know the proper procedures for absolutely everything. He's going to understand best practice from step 1 mm-hmm. to step uh, to yeah. step 50. His knife skills are going to be terrible. He's going to have absolutely no calluses and he's not go- and he's not going to recognize the fact that occasionally he's going to have to work 16-hour days without breaks. Um he's going to complain that it's too hot. But he will be an excellent leader. You can tell him go and uh, and schedule all the dishwashers, tell them what they need to do and make sure that they're properly trained up. He's going to be able to take care of all of that, just like that, because he's already trained in how to do it. Uh, So so he'll have these higher level conceptual knowledge elements, Mm -hmm. but there's the kind of stuff that you only learn from being in the trenches, like good knife skills. He may know how to make risolera potatoes, which involves cutting seven equal sides with a paring knife, then uh, boiling, then roasting, then pan frying them, mm-hmm. and and like the and you and you have to do them in a layer, which is a type of pan. It's a, basically a it's a shallow sauté pan with with high side or with with yeah. it's a sauté pan with flat with with like high round mm-hmm. sides. Um, it's uh, and and you know it's all tornage and all like he could tell you how to do it, but can you make stars out of carrots? Uh, Or could you dice an onion in less than an hour, please? I mean, because eventually people need to eat this stuff. Um, And that, and like speed on the line, learning things like when you have a knife in your hand and you're walking behind someone, you should hold the knife. Well, they knew to hold the knife correctly, but they didn't know to say behind. And then like, I would watch these these culinary students, you know, veteran guys on the line, they sling a hot pan because they spin from the stove over to the line and the culinary student didn't know to say behind and got a belly full of hot saute pan but when we said you know hey we need to uh we need one more item for the for the specials this week Mm -hmm. we've this is what we have in overstock could just recite the recipe like poetry and understood flavor balance and understood the end to end concept of the restaurant industry and not just the narrow microcosm of the line yeah so to bring it back i recently finished uh teaching a, a admin certification prep course at duval college mm-hmm. and i have years and years and years of teaching people in an on the job context zero yeah. experience teaching in a classroom context mm-hmm. and one thing i realized was oh i definitely did something backwards so In in the context of the line, if you need to teach somebody how to make an omelette, you start by saying, okay, here's the pan, warm it up, here's the eggs, get this stuff sautéing, boom, 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 and boom, in, ding the bell. Then, you know, you know, yell at the waiter or whatever. Ding the bell, it's out the door. But in a classroom context, shouldn't we maybe go out to the dining room first, try a bite, see the customers, see the customers' reactions, talk about why they want the Mm omelette in the first place? And, there, and and it was because like we were teaching them about, you know, how to build custom fields without having shown a demo of as an end user, this is how I interact with Salesforce uh-huh. and this is the business yeah. need behind it. And so we were teaching them how to drive, we were teaching them how to build the car.
0: Using the, the why behind yeah, They're Yeah. Just-
1: and I, so I think, I think there's definitely value mm-hmm. in institutional learning, but you learn faster on the job, you learn harder on the job but you learn much narrower. Yeah. Uh, so that's one advantage of consulting is, it's all over the place. Like m- what I do for a living mm-hmm. changes day to day to day. And it's like, well, what is it you say you do here? I don't know, yeah. ask me tomorrow. Um, Cause it might be different. So- no, But,
0: but, but you, you know, like uh, you mentioned about consulting, like how much you have to give your all in every day. Basically you're working with different clients and all that. On top of that, you have your own YouTube channel. So for, for those who are listening, you have your own YouTube channel, Peter Leon. So, I, you know, you share stuff and tutorials about Salesforce or talk about Salesforce in general, uh, you, you have in your own newsletter. So, I mean, this is consuming, right? <laughs> just everything yeah. is because, you know, when I see myself, I mean, this, this is something this podcast, I just like started as a side project just to keep myself sane in the pandemic. I wanted to do this from two years. Ago. I'm like, okay, let's do it. And it is consuming, like just to record and edit the video.
1: You're or, doing yeah, and getting 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 content, figuring out what you're going to put content on. Yeah, I mean. And, and also fighting your own laziness or. Exactly.
0: All it takes you're is, doing your job, yeah.
1: Yeah, <laughs> the, all it, it does is it just takes one bad day to completely take the joy right. out of it. You have to, the motivation level, you have to be like, you know, so. In that uh, zone. <laughs> and and it's, it's very, very easy to like you know, let it slip away in, uh, okay, you exactly. know, oh, two months, no video, whatever. And then other times you're just like, so on fire. And like, I've had times where I've crapped out entire tutorial Same. series in a weekend.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it for me, it's just like depends in the zone. Like if I'm in the right state of mind, I can do it. But these, mm-hmm. everything which I mentioned, which you do actually takes a lot of time and plus consulting. And I, I mean, I'm not a consultant, but I've worked in, you know, as an internal consultant in my own company, but I know that, you know, you have to be all. You are working with data and systems. It's already been very, very clustered, but so it's kind of a creative outlet. So how do you regularly do that? I mean, is is this something that you decided one day? Okay, you know what? Every day I'm going to put out two videos every week or three newsletter articles every week. How how do you decide? Or is this like Um, in the flow?
1: Well, part of it is um, I'm a bit of an obsessive maniac. Uh, So again, as someone who wasted a decade of his life and don't get me wrong, those yeah. were like some of the most fun years I've ever had. Um, I I met my girl of, of 10 years during that window, yeah. so I wouldn't give any of this up. But uh, at the same time, I realized there was a lot of ground to make up. So um, one of my teammates, Ryan Gutis, absolutely brilliant, one of the best developers I've ever worked with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was 22 years old when I was 32 years old and starting, yeah. and he just completely smoked me in every single possible class of 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 measurement when it came to Salesforce, yeah. even after six months, even after a year, because he was still continuing to grow as I was trying to catch up. Mm-hmm. But I had an advantage. Ryan would only work until the task was done. <laughs> so, uh, you know, by putting in the extra time, I'm making up for lost ground, because yeah, I have to yeah. like, write that wrong of of all that waste. And so I just don't take my foot off the gas, um, you know, to the and, and, and my girl gets so frustrated with the the, the time I invest into it. And I'm, I'm really blessed to have a, a supportive and tolerant family uh, or tolerant enough, um, you know, so I just I put in like the time to it. You also got to bring it with the passion.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh,
1: the perfect career is is like a union of three things. Mm-hmm. Pound, bleh, can't even talk passion, talent and skill. You don't need all three to have a job. I never had passion for, for culinary, but I worked as a cook for 12 years. Yeah. I had, I had bills to pay, but you're never really going to do anything transcendent if you're not passionate about it and eventually it's going to fall away. It's a sh- it's a short time. You're, you're, you're going to get better. Yeah. Talent again, I was not a talented cook, but you can make up for that with dedication and hard work. You just have to work harder and do it for longer. And you can develop that third one skill. Anybody can get that; it comes with time. But if you also have passion, intelligent, and passion and talent, you're going to develop those skills five times faster. Yeah. So here I am, five years later, five and a half years later, and I feel that you know, for my time and seat, I'm 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 handling myself well for my contemporaries. I'm performing well against people in my own age groups. You know. Um, I feel I've made up for a lot of that lost time, but it's still just not my nature to take the foot off the gas. Um, and I, I do actually, I typically drive like a grandma. Um, but you know, when it comes to Salesforce, I'm very like full
0: speed ahead. Full speed. I see. I mean, let's, let's actually talk about Salesforce. actually, I mean, there is a constant, you know, ongoing, I will not say argument, but a discussion of software versus cloud. There's always there's always at least like if you Google it two three articles you'll find like software versus cloud systems, so I mean we all know like Salesforce is now $20, $250, 225 twenty five billion dollar company yeah I mean we have like softwares SAP Oracle and stuff like that so what is a viewpoint will software will be obsolete in the coming years what's what's a what's your take you know on what the I'm software versus
1: a cloud okay so. Let me show you something right here see this this usb cable oh well the, the clips busted on it right now yeah. because like you know the the phone fell off the desk while it was charging mm-hmm. and so the cable breaks rather than the phone breaking yeah but i also have an ic charger sitting on my desk we've got tesla tech that we've known about for you know well over you know decades and decades and decades mm-hmm. ago tesla yeah. you know so pan-american exposition why was Buffalo selected as a site? Because Tesla promised that he could bring power wirelessly from Niagara Falls to the city of uh-huh. Buffalo. And so we were the second city in America, although they did not go with Tesla's wireless concept because Edison uh-huh. was frankly better at marketing. He fried an elephant on uh, in front of a live audience to demonstrate the evils of yeah. Tesla tech. But, um, you know, so it was really just, he, he had a better marketing department, <laughs> I think, uh, not necessarily better tech. And no, I'm not knocking Edison, but, I you know again um, a different podcast,
0: but yeah.
1: <laughs> but but also somebody ended up getting uh getting uh electrocuted while installing the lights and got it was the first time anybody had ever died as a result mm-hmm. of artificial electricity yeah. and a light bulb went on over someone's head. We could use this, and that's how the electric chair was invented. Um, right here. So or or because of that accident. So, you know, but here we are finally now just beginning to crack into that. Literally no not a literal light bulb uh, <laughs> my girl just asked a literal light bulb no but um we're just starting to capitalize on this technology and it's like "Well, mm-hmm. what are the killer applications oh well I remember I got an ic charger for my kid's sister because I bought her a wii um you know like five years ago and I didn't want her to not I didn't want her to change the batteries not put the rubber it's case back the on v, right?
0: yeah about that.
1: and ah. that, like when it, when it first came out there were all these people who were like <laughs> like accidentally breaking their televisions by flinging the Wiimote out of a sweaty yeah. hand. So I got her IC chargers so that she could keep the protective silicone case on the Wiimote while it was charging. Uh-huh. And they kicked off so much heat. So in other words, we, we haven't made this technology efficient yet, but I would predict we're going to ha- we're going to see within our lifetimes a world where we no longer have to plug devices in, where every house mm-hmm. will just natively be able to wirelessly charge any device. It's that kind of forward progress. Okay, so how long ago was, this, was something like this, a piece of technology more powerful than any computer that existed 20 years ago that is connected to a global network of information and it's affordable and it fits in my pocket and it's annoying. You know, and it's become part of our culture, we used to carry, you know, even when 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 personal technology became ubiquitous, we would carry a phone, we would carry a camera, we would carry an mp3 player, uh, we would carry a PDA, we carry one device.
2: I I saw an old ad for a replica phone that had even the magnetic uh, antenna. To put on your car to complete the deception
1: my girl is my girl is talking about how she saw an ad for a replica old school phone that even has like the magnet antenna that goes on top of your car and everything uh, it's but about- it's no, like
2: no, no. for a while for a while everybody started to have phones oh for oh so you
0: could join the cool club oh having a phone.
1: it was from when 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 cell phones were first starting to come out it was a fake one to make it look like you were you were hip but you know uh-huh. i remember like you know like this you can't stop progress. I mean, you yeah. can, but you're, you can try, but you're just being a jerk. Um, and, and the reason why historically we couldn't really have cloud infrastructure was because of data transmission rates. Okay. Mm-hmm. We are, when, when my dad, when I was a kid, I, I went home from, from class when I was a real little kid. And I said to my dad, today, we learned about the concept of trillions and the teacher said that the United States is trillions of dollars in debt. And at the time, it was around 3.7 trillion, which now is like laughable compared to what we're doing lately. Mm-hmm. Um, but my dad's like, oh, that's really cool. When I was a kid, we didn't have anything on Earth where the number was big enough that we could talk about it in terms of trillions. So we talked about distance to the sun in miles. And that's how we learned about trillions. And now we have data sets in this world. That have trillions of rows and and we can perform uh analytics and aggregate those uh, in manageable amounts of time so now like you know one one big problem with with your on-prem geo redundancy you know building burns to the ground poof data gone you know yeah. and, and and literally how much of what this thing does is client side versus server side a lot of these apps are just an interface for you to connect into the system that is actually doing the work. Yeah. I you know, like look at that. Um uh, I think it's called Stadia. And I've never used it, and I might be completely misrepresenting what it does, but my understanding is that it's basically a, a, a cloud connectivity device. You pay for a service. All of the processing is being done server side and they're just transmitting to you. You know, you're just it's basically just act, act, acting like a screen. You know, you got a controller, you got a screen and that's really all there is to it. All the processing is being done server side. So you want a beastly gaming rig? You don't have to pay for one. You just need a decent internet connection and you can like, you know, rent out a chunk of a supercomputer. So it only makes sense. It is a natural progression. And when you look at technologies like Oracle, you know they learn to grow grow wings and go to the cloud by contrast salesforce was born in the cloud and has that edge but uh one of my mentors said to me one of the real things that salesforce did right that no one had done right before was the concept of multi-tenancy in the cloud and that you know governor limits as much as i uh as much as they do give me a good challenge and i do like a good challenge the whole concept of governor limits and how to how to implement like do you think that you're con- that you really have your own salesforce instance that's storing your data no your contact records are in the same table as everybody else's contacts and the first level of security that gets applied is that the org id of the user must match the org id of the row and it's such an elegant design like yes there will come a day where you know like oh it's got more and more and more gigabytes of storage on it we don't need it
0: we just like it's all. It's, we just need to access it. Exactly. <laughs> we don't need to have
1: this, it. This all this is is a fancy interface that yeah. glows and lights up and connects me to the services.
2: Yeah. I mean, so but, Salesforce,
1: Salesforce likes to say, "Oh, we're not software, but it, it's yeah. it's SaaS. It's software as a service." So, and and I think that's the that's the big direction. Yeah. That. I'm I'm still a huge hardware junkie. I got a uh-huh. uh, a Scarlet two I two interface right here. Fancy microphone, tricked out. You know, my my main rig Salamander is three years old, and the only reason I didn't rebuild it last year was because I was just like, but there's nothing I want to do with it that it doesn't do amazingly. Yeah. You know, it was almost it was almost sad. I, the build I made was a little too good.
0: Yeah, I mean, there is there's also something like you know, was has which I mean, for me it was like when I first found out about was I'm like. this is enabling collaboration, then competition, you know, like the standard blue ocean theory. Like if I see if I have a software or if I have a product, I will be competing with several other different products. But if I am like, I mean, you have an app actually in store. You have like, I mean, you are a direct competitor to Salesforce. Okay. You can merge with me and you can, we can work together. (laughs) That's such a beautiful, this thing to do. I mean, it's Just like standard collaboration versus competition, kind of an analogy. But uh, but yeah, I mean, you have been to Dream Dreamforce, right? How how yeah, is that? So, uh, so for, the, for I, those for those who are I, listening, I, I'm just gonna give the context. So Dreamforce is a annual Salesforce conference event, I would say, which happens. Yeah, the uh, it's
1: the largest tech conference in the world. Uh, it takes place for a week in typically Q4. Uh, this year, uh, regrettably, will be remote, but typically draws in approximately 175,000 attendees. Yeah. Um, so, if you want to pay $500 for like a, a 200 square foot, you know, closet in a hostel for for a night, uh, yeah, Dreamforce is is definitely where you want to go. But um, as a Salesforce MVP, I get a free ticket. Um, but normally, that's, I that's
0: think the golden jacket, right? I mean, is is this no,
1: no, crap? the Dude? golden. Golden hoodie and MVP are two different things. Ah. Um they're 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 two different uh they're two different words for two different reasons. There's very little overlap between the two. Uh, although there are a few people that have both. But mm-hmm. um the uh yeah, so Dreamforce is their annual conference. Mm-hmm. Um you know, uh so last year, I believe there were 3,000 uh 3,950 ish presentations all the way from the main keynote uh, that has speakers like you know Michelle Obama and uh, the the girl from I think Game of Thrones or something and I, I don't watch television I don't know, um, but uh, I've been to I've been to Dreamforce uh, every year except my first year in consulting because I didn't know it was a thing. Um, after my first Dreamforce, I was like, how do I get myself back? And um, at my company, you only get to go to Dreamforce uh, if you meet one of two criteria: are you either are you going to be the guy shaking million dollar hands? Or are you going to be the one getting up in front of uh, in front of an audience and putting our name on stage? Um, and uh, I don't really fall into category one. So uh, I've in 2017 I started building the board game Risk in Salesforce as a Dreamforce submission, and then I suspended development when they just completely shot that one down. But I did end up getting a session, so I got my free pass because speakers get free passes. Yeah. Um, and so MVPs also get free passes, mm-hmm. um, but last year—last year, what's last the, year I, so, what's sorry, that?
0: sorry to interrupt. What's the difference between like an MVP, and, uh, you know, uh, a bit—the uh,
1: the awesome admin award. Um, Uh it it's it's basically like it it, it's almost like a lifetime achievement award well the mvp program uh i have to get renewed annually um and it's for community mentorship it's for Uh, you know um you
0: have to give back something you have to contribute back to the community and
1: yeah it's it's for what you do off the clock um i actually full disclosure i don't really know how they pick uh golden hoodie recipients or what the um, I just know that it looks really cool. I also know that it's reversible and it's a regular Trailblazer hoodie on the inside. But yeah, the uh, MVP yeah. program comes with a lot of perks. I also have my own personal premier support account, which nice. costs like, I think costs like customers like 40 or $50,000 a year. And I can just, I can actually call Salesforce tech support and they pick up the phone, um, you know, which is, which is, it has come in handy a couple of times. Um, but last year, um, I did I did uh six sessions like so six diff- different sessions including the analytics keynote which had like several thousand people physically in attendance as well as a number of people watching uh uh dialing into it um and I had a, I actually had a talking part in that keynote um the previous year uh I just got to carry up the giant comically oversized cardboard check at the end and everybody's like oh but what what I bet I bet you wish they let the, you keep the check and I'm like well actually yeah but I don't care about the money it's just I want the cardboard check yeah. like I don't want the money I want the cardboard yeah I have plan- I, I don't you know money for me is not um it should never be a goal okay mm. money is a tool and you shouldn't lust after it because it is a means to remove obstacles and that's all it is and that's how it should be used Um, if you pursue money for its own gain and you succeed, that's kind of like when the dog tears open the bag of food and eats until it gets itself sick. Like, you know, Justin
0: Bieber. There'll be an end to it. Like how long can you run? I mean, if you just like go on be considering that particular thing as your, you know, I want this money, this thing.
1: I want to get past the obstacle. The money is the means to, you know, and sometimes money is the means to get past obstacles. It gives you more
0: options, actually. It gives yeah. You more options
1: like, I'm certainly not going to turn it down, but it's not my goal. Yeah. Um,
0: Last couple of questions. I've got this question, you know, when I posted about, like, okay, I'm hosting you. And over the period of time, like, since I started posting about, you know, Salesforce a little bit on LinkedIn, like, all my juniors, pretty much any, any, st- person i know any friend i know have reached me out with this question and i want you to answer that i guess you also might have received this question that you know it is do you do you, are you not afraid of you know relying so much your so much on salesforce you know professionally like you you're relying your entire that is a, on that is a like
1: beautiful question not,
0: yeah i'm like you're so, not it's more of a problem solving but but yeah please go ahead yeah
1: <laughs> so i can definitely see the the the, the disconnect here um so I tend to, I tend to be a, like a both feet in both feet out kind of guy. I'm either full blast doing something or I'm not even talking about it. And you know, like I'm like that with video games. I'm like that with, with, with every interest that I have, I'm just very like full speed ahead, obsessive maniac kind of guy. And so initially when I came into the ecosystem, that first six months was absolute brutal it was horrible. I wasn't getting any sleep. I lost weight. Um, You know, I was, I I was like going through a pound of Rolaids a week. It's nuts. And I desperately wanted to escape it. And I thought, well, what am I going to do? Go back to being a cook. And then when we got acquired, you know, after 10 months, we got acquired and I was terrified because I don't like working for corporations. I liked, you know, the, I was afraid of it. I liked the idea that if there is a problem the person whose name is on the check is down the hall and that is the final line of authority and i can go directly all the way to the top of the ladder i have met the this uh, jim ross ceo of huron we had lunch together you know um i feel like if i emailed him he might reply to me but i haven't had a need to um but i was afraid of that um and when when raj you know um gave the announcement i'm pleased to announce that uh we've signed a a definitive agreement to uh, be acquired by huron consulting group my gut said get up and walk out of the room but i fought that impulse that it frankly immature impulse because of two reasons one no one's hurt you yet hear the man out two all of these people who have been helping you for the last 10 months you're going to damage their morale if you get up and walk out so you can at least sit here and stew in silence and just hear what everyone has to say. And it actually worked out marvelously. Um, Huron has empowered us without overriding our culture. They've allowed us to grow up. This is my work uniform. All right. You know, it's not like I'm I'm not like, you know, and I am a bit of a round peg in a square cubicle, but they allow me to be that. Um, and they recognize that, you know, don't force people to be what they're not. Just empower them to leverage their passions and leverage their skills and away they'll go. But um, you know, when I when we were getting when, we, when I found out we were getting acquired, I was terrified because I was like, you know, all I got is cooking and Salesforce. And I don't know if I even have enough Salesforce to get another Salesforce job. Like, no one's gonna take me without a degree just because I've got 10 months of experience. That's not enough. I'm 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 like trapped. But now I realize I'm not trapped thing that Salesforce has taught me is I don't even need Salesforce. I understand how to solve problems. I could walk into any, any conference room where there's a, a heated debate about the problem. And with, with no understanding of even what the vertical is, I guarantee you, I can just sit back and listen for 10 minutes and I will have something of value to contribute because I am a consultant first and a technologist second salesforce is a facilitator and and, 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 a, and a venue in which i do what i do but you know if salesforce burned to the ground tomorrow i mean it'd suck but i i don't know what what my next step would be but i'm not worried
0: yeah. i mean uh, thanks for answering that actually you know exactly like what's your core you're a core problem solver i mean if you love problem solving it doesn't matter if to do list, you're going to solve problems I really
1: like I really like training up the new hires and like, I've got a a lot of things I'm very particular about. For example, with flows, the lines must be crispy. If you build a flow and there's sloppy willy nilly lines everywhere and you're not adhering to consistent naming conventions, I don't care you want to do camel case you want to do Hungarian, whatever. But pick one and stick to it and everything needs to be consistent, it needs to be orderly, it needs to be logical, it needs to look like a finely tuned machine. And the reason why is because when you're doing your tech review with the client, if they see sloppiness, it will subconsciously plant within them the idea that this is poor quality work and they're going to put every little thing under a microscope. And then they're going to want you triple explain everything. And they're going to doubt your skills.
0: That, that's a bit with, you know, working with clients, you know, like when you're presenting, they will, they are present to find the flaws. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they they have, to, I mean, it's, it's a human. And I need
1: them to. Yeah. I, I, I need them to bring that. But then, so it's 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 interesting because um, one of our guys who's who's been with us for two years now, I listened to him teach the new hires and I hear my words coming out of his mouth. And it's so rewarding to see this like generational process of year after year, we hire all these kids. And I mean, I know, like, from from my perspective, you know, I'm, I'm talking about people your age, nothing personal, you know, it's a term of endearment. But, you know, these, these, these kids are so much younger than me, but they're, they're, they're bright, and they're ambitious, and they're eager, and they're, they're ready to learn. And you know, we're ready to train them up from nothing. And they they take it on with such an amazing voracious appetite. Um, and then the next year they're teaching the new class and to be able to like instill best practices to take my experience and distill this mm-hmm. into specific key concepts. And then to watch those concepts get passed on again and again is so rewarding to me. So problem solving and teaching. Yeah. And I, I figure when I start to get older and I'm, I'm you know, problem solving, when the gears start to turn a little less fast and I'm not as good at problem solving as I used to be. Although I, I kind of doubted it, but you know, medical science says eventually I'm going to slow down. I think maybe I'll, I'll shift gears and I'll be a little bit more teachy and a little bit, a little bit less problem solving. But um, where would, where would my life be if I didn't have riddles?
0: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a very, very good answer. What are you working on right now what are you excited about every day you know when I spoke to you you I mean we are both kind of I feel like I also need every day okay to be excited about I don't know it it has to be something very silly but it has to be I mean let's take this episode I'm like something to look up to so what is something like you are excited or looking forward to Coming A so, or... couple of months
1: ago, my girlfriend said she wanted to do a pay-what-you-can charity veggie stand for the community where you could pay cash, you could barter vegetables, you know, and just, just outreach. And we wanted to use Misfits Market. They get ugly fruit. So like a carrot yeah, with two points or an apple that's too large, uh, but it's all good food and it's super cheap.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, And I, I could foresee a number of problems with just people being jerks and taking advantage of it or, or um, vandalizing it or whatever. And I thought minimum viable product we need to put out the folding table that's in the backyard with a cardboard sign but i was like oh this is an excuse to buy tools and build stuff so it weighs about 500 pounds it's in my front yard and it looks like a barn but it's a legit veggie stand and you can come down and see it if you want nice and i i spent you know uh well i mean he's in buffalo but this is for a podcast so i'm not just going to say my address but uh (laughs) you know uh but we can connect offline if you want to if you want to check it out um but i you know that was that was my weekends for about a month and then before that i had bought um i wanted beef jerky like i was really in the mood for beef jerky (laughs) and i just didn't i was so sick of like jack lang's beef jerky i wanted something different so i went out and i bought an offset charcoal smoker Uh And over the course of about two months, I taught myself how to make really, really good beef jerky on a smoker. And then by then, I had had so much smoked meats that both my girl and I don't want to be anywhere near anything smoked for at least the rest of the year. Uh, But I'm probably going to try smoking cheeses in the winter when it's cold enough Um, because I'm not going to try and cheat. You know, I want to I want to do it legit. I want to regulate the temperature myself. I like a good challenge. Um, So today's Friday, what am I gonna do after this? I've got a video that I wanna finish editing that is gonna be hopefully really, really fun. Um, And honestly, uh, I play Minecraft on a small uh, economy server where certain materials are prohibitively rare and hard to come by. And um, I'm just enjoying actually um, toppling the economy for my vanity and lust for iron um and you know i've successfully in the last three weeks i've doubled the price of iron on that server because instead of using it to build machines i'm building a little a little um a giant vault for my pile of diamonds uh but you know it's like i mean yeah I'm, i i i can redstone with the, you know pretty well but on a, the server's average age is like you know it's anywhere from like 12 to 20 is the majority of the player so it's not really it's not that hard to out redstone a 12 year old, you know, let me tell you, and and if you want to get rich on the server, all you have to do is build a better machine. Yeah. So that's, that's a hobby that I, I spend time with. Um, but you know, I used to do all sorts of things like, I, I love to draw and paint. And um, I don't play any instruments, but I write bad folk music, because I'm pretty good at coming up with rhymes and puns off the top of my head. Um, but really, when I got into computers, all of that just all of my creativity and all of my drive and all of my motivation got funneled to the head of a pen and that was kind of how i got ahead so you know i like puzzles i like the games with world editors you know and i end up spending more time in the world editor than actually playing the real game i love building systems of structure and and solutioning it out so the whole thing with the veggie stand Mm -hmm. there was no measuring tape involved there was no blueprints there was no design it was all just up here it's only a little crooked you know just don't squint Um, and it's actually it's because it was just something I couldn't avoid when I I did the two side frames together first and then trying to stand them up I just didn't have enough hands to help me balance it so it's ever so it's about half an inch off this way but other than that you know worked out fine um
0: yeah it's it's working then it's fine but you're a consultant it has to be perfect
1: (laughs) yeah but um I'm never bored Nice. I mean, you know, even on long flights, I got this to keep me busy.
0: Nice. Well, thank you so much, Peter. I mean, I, I mean, I, we spoke about this. I mentioned this last time we spoke, but i want to say it on record also in this episode that I have met so many friends of mine, so many juniors of mine on LinkedIn who have reached me out, have told me that Peter, you are, you have been really, really responsive to answer each and everyone's question. My friends from UB, a few friends here in Buffalo, other, other states also. So thank you for that. And uh, it was pleasure, pleasure hosting you. Thank no, you. I so, can't
1: not solve the riddle. If somebody pings me a question, I'm going to at least <laughs> try it. It's like, I'm the kind of guy where if I, if I walk over to your house and you got a half full jigsaw puzzle on your dining room table, it's going to be really hard for me to keep my hands in the, in my pockets.
0: That's it from this episode of CareCut. You can find Peter on LinkedIn, Twitter and YouTube under the same name. If you like this episode, something we discussed in this episode or if you have any thoughts on something specific you'd like to share, feel free to reach me out on Instagram at CareCut or you can email me at carecutcontact See you next time. Until then, stay safe and keep tuning. Start watching I, I think I have to no, say that was one of the points this, And, and this is in cut.